Hi, and welcome back to The Mean. I'm Ryan Huber, and with me, as always, is Nicholas Seagraves. Hey, Nick. Hey, Ryan. We've been on hiatus for a little while. Um, took about a month off of The Mean after recording our first 30 episodes. We're thinking about that almost like a season one, and uh, this is episode 31, which you could think of as season two, episode one. I don't know how I'm going to label it, but that's how we're thinking about it. Uh, the reason that we took some time off is that my wife, Jessica, um, was very pregnant and then gave birth to our first child, a son, Lincoln Maxwell Huber. We call him Max. So that was pretty intense, and we wanted to take some time to welcome Max into the world. And um, Nick didn't just feel like doing soliloquies for a month, which would no. be pretty entertaining, like you just recording your thoughts on things just by yourself. I don't know if that'd be entertaining. <laughs> I think it, it might give me like a disorder. But, yeah. You yeah. just start talking to yourself all the time. All the time. Yeah. It'd be like a Coen Brothers script. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So since since we're coming back, we're coming back to you all after a hiatus. We, we wanted to dive right back into what we do here on The Mean, which is we like to look at things happening in popular culture uh, at cult, uh, culture and then really see what's going on behind the scenes by using philosophical tools to break down ideas, arguments, conversations. And, and unfortunately what's going on in popular culture this last week is the, the tragic, I don't know if tragic is the right word, but the, the disturbing, the awful events in Orlando, Florida, uh, at, at a gay nightclub, um, where 50 people around 50 people were murdered. And another 50 people were brutally injured um, by a man that we'll talk about in a little bit. But he obviously was not a fan of gay people and he was uh, violent and he decided to use weapons against gay people. And so there's there's so much going on in that event. We didn't want to um, disrespect the families by kind of picking it apart and saying what should have happened and talking about things that are outside of our pure purview, like national security or gun control. But what we did want to talk about is because everyone seems like they're talking about this. We wanted to talk about what people are talking about. And there's a lot of different dynamics going on in our culture. And it's, it happened with San Bernardino. It ha it's happened with the Charleston shooting last year. It's happened with any kind of time. There's a, a well-publicized, well-covered um, act of violence, Paris. Um, and we wanted to really give some space to talk about two, three, four really important issues as we see it. So we're going to try to be respectful about the event itself. This is obviously something that's awful that we don't take lightly, but um, there's a pattern in our culture where some of the same conversations happen over and over and over again when a, when a large dramatic event happens. Um, and we just wanted to start to dig into that. Do you have anything to add about that in general, Nick? Yeah. I mean, just understanding that this was, really emotional i mean we're both from florida yeah. um i identify i guess with that people group that was targeted although we probably share very little in common mm -hmm. and it, and so it's definitely not a purely philosophic issue yeah. but what is purely philosophic is the way in which many voices have been um talking over the last couple days mm -hmm. and I think that just to make it really clear like this is not an analysis you know we're not a news team we're not here to break down like 
oh, and then this happened and kind of like have that weird mm-hmm. hyper violence voyeurism thing yeah. going on. It's more to do with um, the response to the response, I guess. Yeah, is how yeah because you and I deal with pop culture and people getting murdered isn't pop culture. But people yeah. talking about people getting murdered on the internet, unfortunately, is pop culture. Like, it, that's yeah. weird to even say that sentence. Um, but that's what we're doing. Because we wanted mm-hmm. to talk about it because it's important. There are a lot of important issues attached to it. So we're calling this episode, episode 31, uh, Pulse, which is the name of the club in which this happened. Um, I think we're also just trying to get back to where we're, you know, talking about issues that matter in culture. So hopefully we're doing that. And uh, as as we move into the actual discussion of this event, there's so many different angles. But Nick, I wanted to give you kind of the first chance at talking about what you think is the most salient or significant or or um, meaningful conversation that's happening right now because of this event. Um, perhaps the most meaningful, and this is really complicated, and I apologize, but. Uh, perhaps the most meaningful conversation that's happening about this is the conversation about how we have a conversation about a specific people group mm-hmm. and that specific people group being Muslims. So it's not, what I mean by that is it's not the conversation about Islam in particular that's mm-hmm. interesting or new because it's kind of the same thing that with 9-11 and the Boston and, mm-hmm. you know, all the Paris, all the yeah. Paris, but it's how people are talking about how we should talk about it as a society mm-hmm. that I think is bringing to light mm-hmm. some ideologies that are, are to me personally, a little bit disturbing. Yeah. So let's start, way. let's, let's, okay. So the first chunk of this conversation is how we talk about Islam, right? Mm-hmm. And so let's both put it out there at the beginning that we both believe that the majority of Muslims are relatively good people, just like the rest of us, relatively bad people, just like the rest of us. They are monotheists, just like Christians and Jews. They don't want to hurt people or kill people. They are trying to do their life. They probably don't even think about violence all that much they're probably just trying to figure out how to raise their family and work and have enough food and we know there are many 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 different kinds of muslims sunni shia sufi uh wahhabi i mean all these different all these different um types of muslims just like there are different types of jews and christians so we're not trying to paint anybody with um a broad brush we don't think all muslims are anything because we think that's sloppy thinking to take 1.3 billion people and say anything about them. Um, mm-hmm. Besides the core beliefs that Allah is God, Muhammad is the prophet. Um, you should try to make a pilgrimage if you can. You should give money to the poor. You should fast during Ramadan. Allah means submission to God. The Quran is really important. There are other texts that are sort of commentary on the Quran, but the Quran is, is the major text that was given to Muhammad. It arose, I believe, in the 7th century. I could be off there, but I believe that's when it arose um, in the Saudi Arabian Peninsula 
Um, the cities Mecca, Medina, and Jerusalem are all important cities. So we're not trying to generalize anything about Islam except for what the core tenets are about Islam. And we're not even mm -hmm. trying to do a commentary on, on Islam right now. But what we are trying to do is have a conversation about how we in popular culture in the United States of America today especially in media circles, social media circles, especially in the more elitist circles that you and I kind of tend to bump into people with college degrees, people that have blogs, um, that conversation. So having said all that, that we don't hate Muslims, this is not even really about Islam primarily. Mm -hmm. What, what's your, what's your concern with how we talk about Islam? Um, there seems to be, a gag rule or not really a hard and fast gag rule but a fear of coming off as either racist or xenophobic um or eurocentric and just you know any type of bad thing you can be um when when you bring up questions about the state of islamic communities and countries and governments. And what I mean by that, as an example, if someone said, um, or it, this did happen to me, if a news article is saying, hey, um, it seems that Islamic extremism is something that isn't, that isn't as um, hated by the majority of Muslims as something like the Ku Klux Klan is by the majority of Christians. Um, which I've, you know, I've read that over the last couple of days. I've had coworkers be like, wow, that's really Islamophobic. Or mm -hmm. that's something, their only reason they would say that is because most people, most Muslims are, are people of color. Mm -hmm. So they, they think that they're like, it's a racist thing. And yeah, or some type of, I cannot believe someone would write that in the Washington Post or whatever it was, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and it, that was just really weird for me because I, I found it, me saying it myself, like after the Paris thing, um, the San Bernardino thing, and then this, I was like, wow. Radical extremist Islam, mostly focused around ISIS, is like pretty um, big, you know, like to have. Yeah, and our two... best estimates, yeah. the numbers I've read. So if you were to take all the people who consider themselves like radical extremist Buddhists and Hindus and Jews and Christians, maybe you would amount to a million. I'm not sure. <laughs> but um our best estimates when we look at the the online followings of um radical islamist clerics imams when we look at uh, message boards when we look at public polling from majority uh, muslim countries and the statistics that are kept on this kind of thing when you look at things that, that categorize someone as a as a radical islamist they want sharia law they want to punish people who uh, they have a fundamentalist reading of the Quran. They want to punish people such as homosexuals and infidels. Um, the number is probably around 60 million. 
Um, which remember, there's 1.3 billion Muslims in the world. So this is a, a small percentage of, of Muslims. So once again, the vast majority of Muslims don't appear to be radical or extreme. Mm -hmm. uh, but 60 million people in absolute terms is still a really big number of people. That's that's a lot of people. 60 million people who think that there should be radical punishments for being gay, that think that there should mm -hmm. be Sharia law, that think that, you know, that Islam should dominate the entire globe by violence if necessary. I mean, 60 million is a lot. So I mm -hmm. think we should just put that out there and be honest about about that number. Well, yeah. And even saying that, I have kind of this like reflex of needing to couch it in all these um, qualifiers mm -hmm. you know, as not to appear as something. And that's what has been really fascinating to me. I like kind of looked at myself and said, what is making me, why am I not, why do I feel bad for saying, wow, a a pretty decent chunk of people who are Muslim so, like submit to this ideology. And it's only about Why 5%. Is, yeah. It's only about 5%. Mm -hmm. So it's nine, you could say 95% of Muslims don't seem to have any interest in this whatsoever. Yeah. But why is it that even bringing up that 5% is, is like a contentious thing that blogs are being written about mm -hmm. and well, I think you've, you brought up in the past, so there's a lot of ideologies floating around. I think this is really what we're getting at. There's a lot of ideologies floating around that have nothing to do with Islam that dictate discourse on this matter. One is post-colonial critical theory, right? Mm -hmm. One is uh, critical race theory. Uh, another is the sort of anti-Euro, anti-North American, anti-American imperialism, anti-West uh, sort of self flagellating uh, apolo apologies for America's violent past, the kind of, you know, the kind of like every time something bad happens, we need to think about how bad we are kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. White guilt, I think, is associated with this. Western guilt, if you want to call it that. So I think these are some of the ideologies that make it hard to talk about Islam because it seems like as soon as you start to talk about radical Islam, people think that you're racist or xenophobic because let's be honest, there are a lot of people who are racist and xenophobic against Muslims and people that come from countries where Islam is the dominant religion. Oh, for sure. For sure. And I, I think it, like you said, it's because the people who also fit into supporters of ISIS also fit into categories that in broader culture are, are, um, protected groups, at least on an mm -hmm. ideological level. So you have, they are normally people of color. Um, they are normally from developing nations. They are normally um, non-Western. They don't function in a Western mentality. Yeah. Even though I think it, on a larger historical level, Islam probably has more to do with Western thought than certainly Chinese or Indian thought mm -hmm. on, in terms of like philosophical because of the influence of Aristotle yeah. among other things. Yeah, but regardless of that, it's it's definitely not Eurocentric. We can say that um, unless you count. I don't want to keep giving caveats, but whatever. Um, it's I think because it checks all those other boxes. I think people. I think we're finding that 
is it okay? Is it okay to call a poor person of color, non-Western person of color, wrong or evil? Is it, mm-hmm. are we allowed to do that? Mm-hmm. And I think for a lot of people, because the impetus to right past wrongs and make up for guilt or maybe even our honest, own evil. Yeah. Which all of those things I think are actually really, really good. Um, it's like, we can't, we can't, you know, like we just can't because they have so many check boxes that it's not worth doing it. And, and mm-hmm. I, I think a pop culture analogy for this. Okay. And I'm not trying to be disrespectful. Um, is the controversy around the X-Men Apocalypse movie billboard in LA? Did you hear about this? Which I have not seen yet. I'm going to see it. Uh what was the what was the billboard? It was Apocalypse Choking Mystique. Okay, like that's mm-hmm. the billboard and mm-hmm. it says only the strong will survive. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of like hyper feminists were like this promotes violence towards women and like why would a woman like why would a culture accept women being treated violently mm-hmm. and it's another one of those things where it's like well here's the checklist like she's a woman mm-hmm. i mean she's also a mutant who can change shape and is fighting a war against a demigod but yeah and sometimes this might ask you know why there aren't more female superheroes who are engaged in these kind of struggles. I know that it has been asked before. And so you're kind of damned if you do or damned if you don't with it, because if you have female superheroes that are, that people are doing violence against, then you're, you're for violence against women. But if you don't have enough female characters in your violent comic book movies, then you're marginalizing women. So it's kind of, yeah. And it's in what those, why those things interact and why they are self-contradictory is because on one hand, it's my theory of checkbox protected minority women. So that trumps everything. And on the other hand, it's looking at the subject matter itself. So really, I think they're not, they, I don't think they would see it as contradictory. They see it as like, I mean, it is contradictory, but it, it, it comes from a place of we need of protection. And I think that's the other thing I've realized about this conversation is white guilt and big brother syndrome. Like if you, if you ever think like, well, we're the mature ones. So mm-hmm. let's take a back seat. It's actually a pretty condescending yeah. attitude yeah. Yeah. to think that like, I mean, cause some of the things I've read, it almost seems like, you know, well, Muslims, like, can't help themselves because they're just little babies. And, like, we are the West and we are civilized. Well, Barack we Obama has come out, Barack Obama has come out and said that. And the big, um, the big, uh, I think it's Goldstein, the huge uh, interview that came out in the Atlantic not too long ago about about the Obama doctrine. Basically, Obama's foreign policy was this really long read. I, I would I would say anybody who wants to understand Barack Obama's foreign policy should read this piece. It was groundbreaking. Um, Obama says basically this. He says, you know, these countries aren't capable of organizing themselves in certain ways. And whether that's true or not, that's the posture that we take towards a lot of countries that are predominantly Muslim. Uh, George 
W. Bush, his the Bush doctrine was, let's go try to liberate these places and bring democracy to them. Maybe that's naive. Obama certainly thinks it was. Uh, mm-hmm. Obama's doctrine is more, let's kind of leave them alone because we probably aren't capable of getting them to kind of grow up enough to be mature democracies. Now, whether he's right or wrong, the ideology behind that is an ideology of condescension, whether you want it to be or not. That's, it, that's just yeah. true. Yeah. Whenever you say something like, the, because what you're literally saying is they don't have the same faculties that we do. Mm-hmm. We have a higher order functioning mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. And that's why we should be held more accountable mm-hmm. um, than these extreme acts of violence because they're, they're infants. You're, you're infantilizing yeah. people. Yeah. 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 And I think there's something that's related here. I don't want to get too far into now, but I have, mm-hmm. there's a certain group of people that I know. Uh, who have bought into different kinds of Marxist ideologies, whether it's post-colonial ideologies or critical race theory or, or radical feminism, where every time a tragedy happens in the world, their first instinct is to go, well, let's remember all the bad things that America has done. Like, let's remember mm-hmm. the Native Americans. Let's remember the Japanese internment. Let's remember uh, slavery, um, which America started, by the way. Um, well, duh. Yeah, the United States. Was that a joke, Ryan? Are you trying to <laughs> make a joke? Um, yeah, there's no slavery. The, the before first the instance States. of slavery was the American South mm-hmm. in yeah. 1815. Yeah, yeah, and that's why slavery yeah. was only 70 years long. Um, yeah, in the history of the world. Um, so you have the people whose knee-jerk reaction is like. I think they're thinking, and a lot of people I know are Christians and they're liberals, so I think what they're trying to do is to hold themselves to a higher standard and to look at the speck in their own eye, not the log, or the log in their own eye, not the speck in someone else's, kind of doing a self-examination. But I think mm-hmm. at, a, at a certain point, if everything becomes about you and your culture and your past mistakes, then nothing will ever be about anything else. Like, the explanatory power is robbed from any analysis of an event, if the first pivot is, well, you know, we've done a lot of bad things and we can't really, you know, hate these people or, or even like be against them. And, you know, we have the Ku Klux Klan, we have all these things. And so everything becomes about us, like everything, everything yeah. becomes about our past, our identity, our ancestors, whatever, whatever it may be. And I don't know that if you applied that, to another culture that people would be comfortable with that. And I wanted to maybe do a little thought experiment with you and see if you would kind of play along with me to, to illustrate this. Okay. Um, so imagine that you are a person living in Tokyo. Tokyo is the largest city in the world by population. Okay. Okay. So you're one of the millions and millions and millions of people living in Tokyo and you are of Japanese descent and you hear about, some shooting or some act of terrorism or something happening in Japan. Um, According to this ideology that we're describing, what is the first thing that you would think about or talk about in response to, let's say a radical um, Muslim from the South Pacific coming and bombing uh, a Japanese mall? What what would what would be the thing that you would pivot to, if you were kind of espousing this, this we're the grown ups in the room, let's look at ourselves kind of ideology. It would be Pearl Harbor, obviously. Yeah, it'd be or Pearl Harbor, the rape of Dan King, Dan King yeah. uh, the Chinese comfort the, women. 
you know, the conquest of the South Pacific for the Japanese. Yeah, but you don't really, like, I don't read Japanese, and I don't read, like, whatever the Tokyo flagship newspapers are. But, like, Mm -hmm. I don't see Japan doing that. Like, maybe they do. But, like, when an act of terror happens, do you see France going, like, yeah, man, but, like, remember when we were um, doing, like, some bad stuff with Napoleon? Like, does, is there any other culture that self-flagellates the way that we do, in other words? Like, like when there's a terrorist, like, when there was that um, subway bombing in London, where the English, like, yeah, but, like, remember that time that we, like, killed a bunch of Irish people and subjugated them and, like, wiped out the Highlanders of Scotland? Like, mm-hmm. do, like, my, I guess it's more of a question. Do you think that other cultures do this like we do this? <sighs> probably Nazi I don't Germany. Know. I would think Nazi Germany probably does because they're really. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it. I don't know if they do or if they do. I think it would be a much smaller minority than what seems to be so prevalent in American discourse on this issue. And I and, and, and the, I think maybe they understand and maybe living in the European. Uh, on the continent of where Europe, everybody's killed everybody. where everyone's killed everybody. It's almost like a moot point. Like if, like if France did something to England, England could look at a bajillion 800 times of what they did to France yeah. and to Prussia and to Austria. And just, it goes, I mean, cause everyone was just freaking killing each other all the time. Do you think like, that when Cortez was like massacring the Aztecs, the Aztecs were like, yeah, but, like, guys, remember, like, all the people we have conquered and all the human sacrifices and all the people whose hearts we've cut out and subjugation and forced taxation? Like, we should really be thinking about, like, our own role in, like, historical atrocities. Yeah, I think there's two reasons why people say this stuff, and both of them are stupid. <laughs> the first one is you are acting as an incarnation of karma or, like, the prophet of it, so it's, like... Well, this is what we get for the Trail of Tears, even though this is an attack from the Middle East and has nothing to do with the Native American population. But, like, this is our comeuppance. And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I'm glad that you are trying to convince us to, like, accept a fate, basically. Mm -hmm. And then the other one is to, like, it's not even dealing with the issue. It's just saying, like, I guess if I'm being really uncharitable, it's saying don't, this isn't a tragedy because other bad things have happened, which is ridiculous. Like it's, or this, at least this tragedy is not special in any way. Yeah. It's not special. You shouldn't care about it. And I think to be really charitable, I think what they're trying to do is say, Hey, we shouldn't judge these people too harshly because we ourselves have done bad things too. Yeah. Well, it goes, it goes to, a very surface reading of judge not lest you be judged. Mm-hmm. And I think a really bad way of reading that is don't ever judge anyone, which first of all is impossible. But um, if second of all, I don't really think that's what it's talking about. And recently in a, I, um, a pastor in a church service I was going to talked about this and he was saying something along the lines of, judge not unless you're okay with being judged in this area. So like, and it goes back to what real hypocrisy is real. Like growing up in a 
evangelical environment, a lot of the like edgy mm-hmm. weed smoking people would be like, everyone's a hypocrite. Mm-hmm. And from their definition, people were, but from the definition of, I really believe this mm-hmm. and I'm, and I, I sometimes fail at it. Isn't being hypocritical. No, that's being imperfect. Yeah. Being hypocritical is saying, I really believe that women are equal to men. And then, but secretly you don't, you, you just don't believe that. Like you just yeah. don't believe it. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that for me, I hope that America is judged for its actions in the Trail of Tears. I hope that America is judged for its actions with Japanese internment. I hope that we look back on those moments in history and maybe we understand them from a historical perspective, but from an ethical and moral perspective, we're like, that's not good. We need to not ever do that again. That's awful. And in the same way, when someone does something like this to America, I'm like, that's awful. Like, and it's bad. And it has nothing to do with being like, oh, we've never done anything wrong and Mm -hmm. we're the victims. It's Mm -hmm. right now, this is awful on the same scale that those things were awful. And I think the weird part about that argument of, well, let's all remember the time we did this Mm -hmm. is, are you saying that none of it really matters? Because like you just said, it's an infinite regression yeah yeah Yeah. are you saying that there's no significance to this event because what you seem to be saying is this event only has significance in relation to the events of the past like like that like that 50 people getting murdered by someone who pledged allegiance to isis on the phone to a 911 operator and said he was doing this as an act of you know the special kill announcement by some imam about ramadan you get special heaven rewards points mm-hmm. you know if you kill... they'll, they'll be extra virgins yeah extra virgin olive oil mm-hmm. for you mm-hmm. although i recently read that that's a mistranslation and it's actually raisins which i'm hope i'm hoping is the case that you raisins have... yeah it's like you get raisins in heaven not virgins i'm really hoping that's the case Oh man! That, like Damn. all along, it's been like the promise is like, "Hey, raisins, guys!" And everyone's like, "Yeah, I love raisin cookies and not chocolate chip." Cookies. Yeah, I'm gonna blow myself yeah. up for some raisins because back in the yeah. day, raisins were like where it was at. You know, yeah. Na- nature's candy. Anyway, getting back to the point, I think I think there's, I think this ties into the to the kind of major first thing I wanted to bring up, which is. When X event, whatever that event is, whether it's San Bernardino, whether it's Orlando, whether it's your cousin's bar mitzvah, whatever. When X event only serves as a talking point in a conversation you already were having. So you were talking to your friends the day before the Orlando shooting and saying, you know, we really need to crack down on ISIS or we really need to get gun control or we really need to change the way we talk about gay people or we really need to have better security, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And this event simply serves as another example for that thing, for that point you are already trying to make. I, I think that's related to this because the historical, we all need to kind of navel gaze and be sad about all the things that America has done in the past that's a drum that's being beaten anyway. Like that's, yeah. that's not something that they just came, that these people just came up with 
because they because of Orlando. Like that's something they wanted to talk about anyway. So they're using it as a cipher in hermeneutics. We would call it eisegesis, right? You're reading mm-hmm. into the event from the outside. You've already got something you want to see in the event. So if you're reading this Orlando event and you're talking about post-colonial stuff or feminist stuff or gun control stuff or anti-Islam stuff, you were probably already saying that a week ago. And this is just the next kind of receptacle for that ideology. And I wanted to talk to you about that in terms of, first of all, that's super duper annoying. And I just, I'm I'm done. I'm done with it. Um, But but, But secondly, let's talk about it in terms of systems of ideology and pressing themselves upon the uh, sort of as a matrix pressing itself upon the soft facts of reality. And I wanted to talk about in particular about like Hegelian type systems, absolutizing systems. Uh, you know, Marxism is one of them where every single piece of data is so pressed into the form, the thought form that it was prepared for it, uh, that there are never any surprises. I think this is why a lot of media writers and commentators are never surprising because their ideological matrix is so firm that it doesn't matter what soft facts are pressed into it, like cookie dough with 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 a reindeer shaped cookie cutter. Like, no matter what mm-hmm. cookie dough you put in that cookie cutter, it's always going to come out looking like a reindeer. And what, yeah. what I'm seeing with these kinds of discussions online is liberal, conservative, progressive, pro-LGBTQ, conservative Christian. A lot of people never, ever surprise me because there's no thought ever. It's just whatever the cookie dough is, if it's a shooting in Orlando, if it's a, if it's a fire in Oklahoma, if it's a bus breakdown in London, whatever it is. That's the cookie dough. It's going to come out looking like a reindeer because that's what the ideology calls for and will make everything into. Where does that come from philosophically? Yeah. Um, it's, it's hard to say. I think it's a perversion of Kantianism in a basic form. I mean, because for Kant, it's the reversal. You have these ancient philosophers where it's like there's the world and there's us yeah. and the flow goes, the world has all this information or knowledge mm-hmm. or forms or mm-hmm. whatever, and it's flowing into us. Mm-hmm. And Kant was really, he wasn't the only one, but he was like maybe the most well developed um, thinker who said, well, in reality, we form the world, mm-hmm. you know, like we have so these he, categories. He shifted it from like, the cookies already kind of come to us as they are. They're already, Mm -hmm. they're already reindeers or sleigh bells or whatever. And Mm -hmm. he's saying, no, we have these cookie cutters. Yeah. That we get to take the dough of reality and press our cookie cutters into them to make Mm -hmm. them into shapes. Right. Yeah. And those and for Kant, those are completely uncontrollable because those cookie cutters are, concepts of space time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. causality they weren't like Mm -hmm. so those are given um, to us yeah those are things that are inherent to our perception inherent Mm -hmm. to our thought so it doesn't matter if you want to make a bunny rabbit out of your cookie dough you're going to make a reindeer because that's yeah the the reindeer is already that's what's there yeah it's it's human limitation on thought yeah perception basically and i and i call it a perversion because there is no active role in that in kantian epistemology there is no oh i'm really going to focus on space and i'm going to like you know um he, it's called schematization 
yep. for him. It, like I'm gonna scheme. I'm I'm gonna extra schematize mm-hmm. all of these concepts and date and sensory data that I'm getting. And mm-hmm. there is no active control of that. It's something that we just mm-hmm. do. And mm-hmm. I think that with Hegel and the young Hegelians in particular that followed him, there's this. I mean, Marx himself was very much like philosophy wants to only describe the world and I, and I, we need to change it. So you yeah, get a very, that's very important. So Marxism is the turn from almost a description of the schema, these cookie cutters that mm-hmm. form the dough of our reality, um, that, that, that conform it to certain shapes. Marx says, no, we get to make our own cookie cutters. Like we yeah. are actually going to form, I don't want reindeer. I want my my cookie cutter to be the shape of an owl or the shape of a candy cane, and that's the mm-hmm. cookies that I'm going to make. So that that's a huge moment in epistemology of systems, right? Oh yeah, it's an active philosophical approach that seeks to directly influence for Marx the history, his big huge meta history. Mm-hmm like culmination thing so without being um, polemical without even mm-hmm. getting super political about it just purely philosophically most of these kinds of comments and memes on facebook and twitter and people's blogs and even articles that you and i have read where someone's beating on the same drum that they were before and they just use the orlando club shooting as filler or as the the clay or the cookie dough these are marxist moves they're making right Philosophically. Yeah, our crypto Marxists. I mean, that's the thing about old school Marxism, though, is that it's very, it's very honest. I guess it, yeah. that sounds weird, but it's very much like, no, we're doing this. Like yeah. we're doing this. Yeah. So, so you, when you say crypto Marxist, just for people that don't know what you mean, let me clarify yeah. that, and you can you can clarify clar- clarification. People are doing something that's very, very Marxist, but they're pretending like they're not. They're just pretending like this is reality. Yeah. So there's no like we're we are actively changing the world to be, I mean, the basic premise of Marxism is almost every part of human society is constructed by humans. Mm -hmm. Therefore humans can change almost anything Mm -hmm. in human society Mm -hmm. if the collective wants to. Mm -hmm. So because of that, it's, we are actively going to redefine certain concepts the way we want them to be. Now, contemporary thought is no i'm describing reality like it's almost like it's going back to being purely descriptive yeah we're, like yeah. it's almost like people are being marxist but they perceive themselves as being pre-kantian yes that's exactly what it is they're, because it's it, so they're it, just saying like listen yeah. these are how the cookies came to me yeah but in reality this... they're making their own cookie cutters be yes. based on their own whatever ideology they subscribe to and they're and they're yeah. making these cookies and then pretending that that's just the way they come out of the oven. Yeah. I mean we all do it. I mean having being a human being is having schemas is having ways to interpret what we receive. Mm-hmm. And I think it's the most dangerous people whether they're highly religious right or they're part of the new super social justice warriors of the world are people who claim that they're not doing that. That is the scariest group of people to me are people who are like, no, I'm not even cutting cookies. They just show up on my doorstep. Mm -hmm. And if you don't like it, then you are denying either God's absolute truth or the, the, 
for the left, the obvious fact, mm-hmm. obvious, mm-hmm. obvious, obvious, just used mm-hmm. over and over and over again mm-hmm. about certain things. And it's it's weird. It's really weird now that we're talking about it like this. Yeah, and I think like this is a good discussion because people need to realize that this is what's happening. We We know that human beings have some control over how they frame things we know like mm-hmm. like no one's telling no one's positing that kant was wrong about that like that yeah. that 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 it ha- that kant was wrong about it that it happens and that marx was wrong about it that we choose it um to, yeah. to a certain extent right we can't choose yeah. everything we believe but well we like can most philosophic things it's a little of both you know like yeah. it, it, it's true yeah but we're all a lot of us seem to be pretending that this is just the way things are like it's obvious that this is about gun control or it's obvious that this is about radical islam where neither mm-hmm. one of those things is necessarily obvious as evidenced by the fact that people are taking wildly divergent positions about the same event yeah well it's because people become one issue parties yeah. all the time, which I love how that was like a big slur when America mm-hmm. was developing. Mm-hmm. Like the know nothings or <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Like we don't like literally like we don't know anything except whatever whatever they were complaining yeah. about. And it's like but now it's like that is how people live. Like it's like I have devoted my entire life for the cause of queer people. So if the World Trade uh organization comes out with a new contract for international deals i have to blog if i'm for some reason people are listening to me i have to blog about how this will affect queer underground markets in the crawl spaces of new york bathhouses Mm -hmm. you know like it's it every nothing can just be an issue a standalone issue it has to be it's what you said it's it's exactly what you said it has to be real i want to i want to i want to take a very brief parenthetical break from this conversation and then shift into the last major facet of the conversation but the the parentheses is this media exists to make money that we're going to do a whole episode about this media exists to make money and the way that most media gets attention is through some form of conflict Mm-hmm. And so it's in the interest of media, of the media that's set up in our society, in our lives, in our marketplaces, to manufacture or highlight or pump up conflict. So media are not going to tell you about all the wonderful things going on with people digging wells in Zambia. Mm-hmm. They're going to tell you about the gay club shooting, and it's going to be the only thing on TV, and it's going to be super hyped up, and there's going to be a thousand articles written on it, and every writer is told by their editor that they have to have a unique angle on it, you know, or they're not going to get enough clicks, and it's not going to pay their salary with advertising mm-hmm. revenue. Okay, so that's just something we need to know. You, like, and I reposted an article on Facebook that I wrote a while ago about this. You hear about certain violent attacks, and you don't hear about others because the violent attacks you hear about are more symbolic. You and I have talked about that. They're more Mm -hmm. symbolic of certain civilizational or cultural conflicts. You almost never hear about the struggles, the internecine struggles of various African American gangbangers. You don't hear about Mm -hmm. those shootings almost ever, except for on local news. CNN's not running every south chicago murder that happens because of drug selling territory right oh they would have to have their own channel exactly they ignore it what they what they're going to run is anything with a white person killing a black person 
Anything mm-hmm. with a cop killing a black person, anything with a person of color being in conflict with a white person, anything against the LGBT community, because those are symbolic cultural struggles and conflicts that are going to drive ratings. So let's just kind of say that parenthetically, that in your life, you hear about things on media and social media because the money making kind of the way the media makes money, that that has to focus on these kinds of symbolic conflicts over against any other kinds of conflicts. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's on a charitable reading. It's because they simply don't have enough time, you know, or space. Yeah. It's not prioritized. To go into everything. Yeah. But I think what you're, you're reading is absolutely correct. It's like, this is a industry. There's a news industry. There's competition. And like, it's like, Nick, there's five mass shootings a year that are really mass shootings. And there's like 400 gang shootings a year that are basically young black men shooting each other over gang activities and drugs. Like that's just factual like that. But, but we don't care about the young black men dying because it's not news to us because it's not the symbolic value isn't there. Yeah. Well, and it also, it literally goes into the concept of news. Like there's novelty. It's not, there's no like, it's not news that yes. Greece yep. and Germany aren't getting along economically. Yep. Like it's been yep. that way for the last 60 years. Novelty like, is huge. It is totally mm-hmm. novel that 50 gay men were murdered in a club. Yeah. That is totally news. And so rightly so it should be focused on by news organizations because it is old hat that young black men are being murdered because of drugs. Yeah. It, it is sad it is wrong, it is bad, but it is not news. It's not news. And I think this is a tangent, but I, I really have wanted to say this for a while, but it shows the danger of the kind of this ADHD yep. social media mm-hmm. thinking where if everything is reduced to news, yep. if, if things can't be looked at as an issue, you know, like it's not news that you know, people of African descent are more likely to be victims of violence, are more likely to be incarcerated. Um, so if there's not excitement behind that, people yep. can't commit to long-term thought or yep. development, which, you know, and here's like, you know, this is purely theoretical here, which is why I think the industry of outrage creation is so vital for these grassroots movements. Like they have to continuously... Yep make something novel out of an issue that people, because they get bored, will just stop talking about. And my argument is that as an ethicist and as someone who wants to work for social change in certain areas, is that long, sustained, quiet campaigns for change by people who learn about it, study it, and then try to work for actual concrete change in a very incremental way almost always benefits society more than these big, loud, dramatic things. Like, Like Rudy Giuliani's crackdown on crime in New York using the broken windows theory of crime may have saved more black lives than black lives matter ever will. Mm -hmm. And it was a long, quiet, not targeted. It wasn't trying to save black lives. It was just trying to save all people's lives. And since black people get murdered at much higher rates than white people, unfortunately, ended up saving thousands and thousands and thousands of black lives because other cities copied it and murder rates went down. And that wasn't the only factor, but let's say it was the major factor just to be charitable to this this line of argument. Mm -hmm. You could say Rudy Giuliani 
was responsible for saving and the cops that were under his, you know, his jurisdiction were responsible for saving more black lives than any activist that's ever lived. Um, and yeah. the, the same way as I talk about George W. Bush with PEPFAR, the president's, um, you know, the relief program to Africa for ending transmission of AIDS from mothers to, to babies, um, mm -hmm. all that funding, like George W. Bush probably saved more black people's lives than anyone who's ever lived millions. Just if you go to any accounting of it, millions of people's lives have been saved by this guy who most people would be like, well, he's a white Republican. He doesn't care about black people. I mean, Kanye West said it. George W. Bush doesn't care about black people. Yeah. You know, and, and so it's really interesting how sometimes it's these unlikely incremental quiet changes. And by sometimes, I mean, most of the time that actually help people and not the big, loud, dramatic, newsworthy, upworthy uh, things that are liked and starred and hearted and upvoted, you know, these things that make a splash, oftentimes they don't help anybody. Like, are gay people going to be super duper helped by anything that's written in the next week? No. Well, I mean, let's think of some past American political, uh, loud, explosive people coming together uh, movements that have just had great long-lasting effects on our culture like the temperance movement for example that was a good um, one. that's a great one i'm glad that a bunch of women in the 1919s marched around and shamed and guilted enough people through mom guilt into getting rid of alcohol which as you know as soon as they became a minority we decided to keep the law, and even to this day, Nobody alcohol is illegal. Mm -hmm. Or I don't know, like the development of the religious right, or things mm -hmm. that just seem like these huge, everyone's mm -hmm. upset, everyone's angry, mm -hmm. as opposed to someone like Ralph Nader, who is like, LOL, a joke, but is also responsible for cars having seatbelts mm -hmm. in them. Or legislation that saved more lives than probably any other legislation. Yeah, just because he was just like, goes at it. Yep. You know, and just like keeps and keeps it's quiet doing. and it's persistent, mm -hmm. and he builds coalitions, and and people might say yes, but what about Martin Luther King? That was big. That was dramatic. That was mm -hmm. we we shall overcome. Yeah, but the roots of that were twenty, thirty years old. People have been organizing for so long before he even came on the on the scene. His father had been talking about those issues. Martin Luther King Sr. Um, mm -hmm. Other black leaders, other people had been laying the foundation for the boycotts and for the protests in, in Alabama. So most good change, like my youth pastor used to say something that's like kind of cheesy, but I think it's true. Mm -hmm. God, God can make a mushroom overnight, but it takes hundreds of years to grow a redwood. Yeah. And it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a, like, yes, you can get something that seems really impressive that grows really quickly, but it's normally not as strong as something that's a sustained effort over time. Now I know I've taken us way afield into ethical things, but it's basically mm -hmm. a response to this. The we talked about the outrage manufacturing, we've talked about the the big media blitzing and the commentariat, and that everyone has to have an opinion. But I wanted to take it to one more really important set of issues before we wrap it up today, and that's this. You and I have both seen both on amateur and professional levels, basically this argument. And I want, I want you as a Christian and as a, um, as a person who identifies as gay, as you have a person of gayness, a person yes. of gayness, a pog, um, as a pog, I want you to respond to this argument that we've seen in time magazine. We've seen in think progress. We've seen on HuffPo. We've seen on, uh, prominent UCLA law professors, Twitter. We've seen it on, 
pe on my friends who consider themselves really enlightened on their Facebooks. And here's the argument. It is not that different to be a conservative Christian who opposes gay marriage and gay rights than to be the guy who ran into that nightclub and murdered 50 people and injured 100. I want you to respond to that just as, as you, Nick Seagraves, as a person who's both a Christian and has had to live through people opposing your view on same-sex marriage and on, and on same-sex, you know, everything. Um, mm -hmm. and, and you've grown up with, with conservative Christians. What is your response to this line of argument that basically there's not, it's just on a, it's just on a kind of a gradient on a continuum. There's not that much difference uh, between conservative Christians opposing same-sex um, rights or marriage or however you want to frame it, equality, and this guy who murdered a bunch of people in a nightclub in, in Orlando. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, as someone who likes philosophy, I would say, A, that's, it's, this sounds so condescending, but it, that's not an argument. Like, <laughs> I think people get, like, I read the articles that you sent me, and all of them just say that. They just say it. There's never like, all right, so in my view, words are a type of action and they have long st this is me being charitable and filling in their argument you're making their argument for them that they were too lazy to make yeah like words are a type of action they're not really that separate from action and they can lead to long lasting damaging um attitudes and policies that affect queer youth and even adults and like, let's look at how many lives have been ruined because they've been excommunicated from their families and communities or been driven to suicide and um, so on and so forth. And therefore, it's almost it's almost the same as taking a life through violence, because you're basically destroying gay people's lives by your so it's ideology. It's a really nuanced, subtle form of violence through things like exclusion and um, bigoted rhetoric. Yes. And, of course, I've never actually read anyone who had just said what I said. They normally just say, there's really not that big of a difference, you know, lest we forget the gay teen suicide rate of the early 2000s or um, things like that. And I, my response would be... Um, very simply the it's it's they're not the same they the idea of secondary effects which can go wildly different you know mm -hmm. so like for example you could get kicked out of your house as a um, 18 year old who tells their parents they're gay and you're forced to be homeless on the streets of you know boys town chicago or whatever um and you, that probably isn't great. In fact, I know it isn't. But there are people who have done that who then go on and do a bunch of other things that are good and seem to be pretty well adjusted mm -hmm. and maybe didn't have the type of family life they thought they would have, but are pretty normal people. And there's always, and I don't want to say there's a 50-50 chance because it's probably more like a 90 10 percent 90 to 10 percent chance that you're going to come out great after this mm -hmm. but it is it is absolutely different than a 
than the taking a literal taking of the human life mm -hmm. which is which is which ceases all forms of possibility people like, might you, not believe yeah. us nick like i just want to put these actual words out there the first one is from mm -hmm. time is from time magazine uh by written by a gay christian who is basically saying all christians need to know this and and agree with this and the second one is from a think think progress blog so I want to I want to read these words just so that you're mm -hmm. you're responding to something that's concrete and so that people know that this would this is being said um, by people whose job is to write and analyze things critically and hopefully intelligently. While most Christians, this is from Time, while most Christians would never kill someone because of their sexual orientation, most churches have still caused deep, lasting pain in LGBT people's lives. It is legitimate to be angry not just at the shooter but also at all those who have caused you to feel afraid and ashamed of who you are. Unless you've long been a vocal advocate for LGBT people, you've likely contributed to that suffering intentionally or not. Yeah. Do you know what else I've contributed to? I've probably made some people feel bad about not being able to speak well in public. I've probably made a girl in high school cry because I won the class presidency election. I've probably have hurt other people by getting on the improv team when they didn't. And I've probably affected people and caused them long-term pain that I don't even know about at all. And this isn't to say that what he's saying isn't true. It's just to say what he it's what you said before he could have written this three weeks ago it has almost nothing to do with this event yeah it has it like it, it's the fact of life that people suck and some things and yes being militantly anti-homosexual has even for me caused me sleepless nights and, and you know certain anxieties about mm -hmm. who i am and what yeah. my future will be mm -hmm. but like that is so like understanding what death is like mm -hmm. this is there is no redemption well, there let's is take it, no let's take it to the life. next level because i think this will clarify so this is from <laughs> think progress quote isis may sensationalize anti-gay violence because that's obviously what they're, they're here to do they they think yeah. we're gonna sensationalize this anti-gay violence yeah. when i think of isis i think of the phrase sensation yeah <laughs> We should do like a like a springtime for Hitler, you know, kind of like in ISIS yeah. the musical. Yes. ISIS may sensationalize anti-gay violence specifically to spark the anti-Islam sentiment that fuels it. Like they're doing that on purpose, by the way. Like that's the. Oh, okay. Wow. Damn. Yes. ISIS may sensationalize, sensationalize anti-gay violence specifically to spark the anti-Islam sentiment that fuels it. But that doesn't actually make radical Islam more violent against LGBT people than the conservative Christian sentiment that permeates the U.S. If Howell had any plans for violence at L.A. Pride, it seems unlikely ISIS inspired him. But more importantly, if LGBT people end up dead, it doesn't matter if they were executed or so abused that they saw no future for themselves. End quote. So to be clear, the argument is there's not really that much difference let me let me say it again from his words that doesn't actually make radical islam more violent against lgbt people than the conservative christian sentiment yeah so we, this isn't even real 
Like this is, <laughs> but this, this is being is said faith. all over yeah. the internet. Like it's yeah, being yeah. said by well, so many people. That's bad faith. That I, I am going to be really honest with you. That is intentionally manipulative. That's why the word sensationalizes comes out as so, um, out of place in that sentence. Not just because the the um, the word itself is kind of like fluffy and isn't shouldn't really be used in that situation, but because when the what the word should have been is enacts or actually does, as in takes direct positive physical action. Not if that's sensationalizing gay violence, then sure, but it's also enacting it. And the the big thing that I can't believe isn't being discussed is okay. Here's a great example. Um, there is a pastor with a congregation of probably like 30 people with mental disabilities who are all insane. Okay. And he is pretty well known on like right wing watch or whatever. Cause he says mm-hmm. cra- crazy, crazy, crazy things like mm-hmm. gay people are all pedophiles and like, um, and I watch it cause it's funny, which is probably not really healthy, but whatever. <laughs> and after the shooting, he was like, well, there's 50 less pedophiles in the state of Florida, which is awful and terrible and hurts me and is just, first of all, stupid. And no one, no one is taking that seriously. It's so stupid. And he's so irrelevant. However, even as awful as that is, he did not kill 50 people, period. Like, he, as awful as saying, well, there's 50 less perverts in America now. It is nothing, not, it does not hold a candle to walking into a club with a loaded firearm and murdering people. And the fact that you would even try to equate those two things, I think you could definitely say they're on a gradient. I think you could definitely say that. But to say that there, like that last article, there is no difference between someone disagreeing with a homosexual lifestyle and someone holding a gun to a gay man's face and blowing his head off is absolutely ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. Because my question is, if you're a gay man, I am surrounded by people who don't agree with my lifestyle. And what I have to say to that is, I think you're wrong. And I would love to show you why. Mm-hmm. I don't. It doesn't keep me up at night. It doesn't make me want to quit everything I've done because for me it's I I I think I'm right and maybe I'm not but I'm pretty sure I am and I would love to have an argument with you about it I don't understand this need to be like hyper vigilant against like it's basically saying gay people queer people cannot tolerate at all any form of disagreement with their lifestyle because it's abuse because it's 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 the sort of Nietzschean power you know, it's it's the same thing as any other identity politics thing. I want to read you one more thing. It's slightly longer, mm-hmm. but it's Rachel Held Evans, who has a special place in my heart as someone who misses the point a lot because okay. she's being so open and compassionate and progressive. And she wrote The Year of Biblical Womanhood. And so she's, she's just such a darling of the left. Like a lot of our lefty mm-hmm. friends love her because she's one of the few evangelical Christians who's like super thoughtful, which means she agrees with the Huffington Post a lot. Um, but here's here's kind of the softest form of this argument that I've seen that I think you would still have an issue with. Orlando. 
There isn't a tweet, a prayer, a sentiment in the world that can adequately express the heartache so many of us feel today. As the names and pictures of the victims begin to emerge, we find ourselves oscillating between sadness and anger, between calls to prayerfully grieve and calls to get busy enacting change. Homophobia, religious extremism, unfettered access to weapons of war, and perhaps some untreated anger and mental health challenges all appear to have contributed to the deadliest mass shooting in recent U.S. history. And I believe it is right and good to name those things even as we pause to weep with those who weep, and even as we caution against simplistic answers that only serve to further ostracize already marginalized groups like our Muslim neighbors or those who struggle with mental illness. That said, I want to try to articulate something I've been hearing from my LGBT friends as they've been processing the responses of Christian leaders over the last 24 hours. Many of these leaders have publicly grieved the massacre and called for Christians to simply love the LGBT community in this hour of need, which is good. That's the right thing to do. But what I'm hearing from my Christian LGBT friends in particular is that these calls to grieve and love ring a bit hollow when coming from pastors and church leaders who have never spoken out about hate and violence directed against LGBT people before, or who have spent years perpetuating the very misinformation, stereotypes, and theology that hurt LGBT people every day. At first blush, this may seem like harsh response, but I have, I, I think I get it. For years and years, LGBT people have been suffering from disproportionately high suicide and homelessness rates made worse by religious leaders who stigmatize same-sex orientation and non-binary gender identities and encourage parents to disassociate with their LGBT kids from laws at home that protect the right to discriminate against LGBT people and laws abroad that lead to their imprisonment and murder from incessant bullying that's often accepted when done from a pulpit by a preacher who's a little rough around the edges, from ministries devoted to reparative therapy shown to do far more harm than good, and from national freakouts over bathroom policies that appeal to fear and misinformation to demonize a small minority. If you wanted to love the LGBT community by weeping with those who weep, then there have been plenty of opportunities before Sunday to do so. One Christian leader who last week said those who support LGBT justice inclusion are cowardly, tweeted that Christians should be the first in line to donate bloods, blood for Orlando's victims. He's right about that. But Christians should also be first in line to protest the antiquated and prejudicial guidelines that forbid gay and bisexual men from donating blood themselves. Another pastor, hours after the shooting, tweeted the importance of loving your LGBT neighbor as yourself. But this same pastor wrote a piece in 2013 encouraging Christians to indulge their gag reflex in response to gay people. One can understand how his words might not seem sincere. I'm a big believer in grace, and I hope this post doesn't stray from it. My prayer is that for those congregations lagging behind, this week marks the beginning of more consistent love and concern for their LGBT neighbors, many of whom are themselves Christians, of course. Just understand why some LGBT folks don't fall all over themselves with gratitude when a Christian leader who has consistently demeaned and ostracized them call suddenly calls for empathy. There was a body count before Sunday. It's far easier to weep over a shocking massacre committed by a person claiming another faith than to weep over the millions of small cruelties committed by those in your own community. We can do better. Let's start today. So, like, there's a lot of, the, of that, you know, and what she's saying, the words are true, right? Like, you shouldn't, yeah. be, you shouldn't be cruel to people. You shouldn't ostracize people. There are Christians who have been really mean and, and really kind of um, not charitable and not Christian to people who are, have struggled with this issue or have taken an opposing um, stance on this issue from their congregations. But do you see how even this kind of a new, more nuanced take kind of bleeds into this central issue that I'm trying to talk about here where, where being a bully or using unkind words like is in some ways, I mean, they're talking about this because someone murdered a bunch of people. 
Like yeah. they're talking about it like, hey, like like we just need to talk about like how we treat LGBT people in our communities and how we talk about them. Well, why are we talking about this? Because a guy ran into a nightclub with a with with, with several weapons and started brutally murdering people. And instead of instead of that being the event, the event now is let's think about our own small prejudices and cruelties, which I don't think is a bad thing to do. I think it's a really helpful thing to think about how we can do better, how we can love people more consistently, how we can be <laughs> more open and listening. But as someone who has had to deal with all this BS that she's talking about in the past, like like the cruelty, the small cruelties, how does that strike you? Do you feel uplifted by what she's saying there? Um, or is there, you know, is there anything in there that you would critique or am I just being sort of a straight white guy who, you know, you know, you know, what's, what's your take on that? I don't know. Maybe I'm more of an optimist, but if someone has used anti-gay language and not anti-gay in terms of like, I don't agree with same-sex marriage, but anti-gay in terms of like, you should have a gag reflex when you see two men kiss or mm-hmm. you, you're, you're gay too, or whatever. Mm-hmm like something stupid like that, but also still tweets, I guess, which who the hell cares about tweets, mm-hmm. but tweets out like, Hey, this wasn't great. You know, like, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like to me, that doesn't ring hollow. That actually rings. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say more true. But I tend to believe, like, oh, well, this person seems to be dedicated at least to the idea that a hum- an, an actual, literal human life is a very precious and important thing. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can make arguments, which, if someone is encouraging their congregation to disown their gay children... Yeah, that's, then, pretty, that's pretty harsh. That's pretty harsh. That's pretty mm-hmm. extreme. I would guess the majority of pastors aren't doing that. I mean, that's I a would, guess... Yeah, I would guess that that's not something they would want to happen. Um, But let's say for even the extreme ones, um, it's like all of the things that she says that Christians have done, none of them are actually what in her thing is disagreeing with homosexuals. It's how they're disagreeing with homosexuals. Like the examples she's bringing up are signs of just it would be abusive in any direction like if it was if instead of being gay it was being a calvinist let's say that was like the big heresy or like Mm -hmm. let's go back 150 years and it was being catholic Mm -hmm. um it it would still be the same thing it's not that it's wrong to disagree it's wrong to bully and exert power over Mm -hmm. you know mostly helpless gay yeah, and let's oversimplify this like a lot yes. and say you and I were talking about this the other day. There's a group of people who think that blue is the best color. Mm-hmm. There's a group of people who think that red is the best color. Then there's a yeah. third people group of people who think that red is the best color, but we're going to put them to the side. For the group 3 is off to the side for now. We're just talking about groups 1 and 2, the blue group and the first red group. So blue group and red group, they're arguing, they're arguing, they're arguing, right? Some of them say bad things. Some of them get way over the top. They get way too, like, they start, they do cruel things. 
they're going back and forth. They split up families. They split up groups just over the red and blue thing, right? And they're not, they're mm-hmm. not going to agree. They go their separate ways, but the, sometimes the rhetoric is way over the top and everything. And there's a lot of hurt feelings and, and, and there's a lot of like real psychological damage that's done because let's say the, the, the red group is in power over the group, blue group a lot of the time. And a lot of the people in the blue group do get severe emotional and cultural and relational um, baggage and damage because of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But these two are going back and forth, blue group and red group. Along comes group number three, who also is on the red side of the issue. They think the red group is right and the blue group is wrong. But their solution is to literally murder the people who think blue is better than red. Right? To literally murder them. The fact that both the second group and the third group both think red is better than blue, I don't think is as significant as the difference between them, which is that mm-hmm. one group is is can be harsh and do things that are wrong and should be held to account. The other group is are doing things that are so awful that they ought not be allowed to be part of civilized society. They ought not be yeah. be acceptable to us as existing in the world. And that's, I think, the thing that offends my sensibilities is I know plenty of people that I love who are a lot more anti-gay than you and me. Um, and they're decent people that I don't like the way that they approach this issue because I think that mm-hmm. they're hurtful towards my gay brothers and sisters. Like you and I both know people that we've had conversations with who are like, well, they're a decent person, but like they really get this wrong. Like they're too harsh in their anti gay stance or whatever and you and i both agree on that but like that's not the same thing as them breaking out an ar-15 and murdering 50 people and i just i feel like a lot of this rhetoric is deflection it's deflection Mm -hmm. away from the thing that happened into a discussion about their pet project which is let's bring these two groups of people together and have the red group apologize to the blue group yeah well you know me i i think that subtle ideological beliefs actually have gigantic impact on society. I think the way that conservative Christianity has discussed sexuality, gender, um, the roles that those play in your life, how important they are, how not important they are, have radically affected families, children, marriages. They have probably destroyed a lot. They have probably caused widespread suffering. However, However, comparing that to a murder actually shows that you are someone who cannot deal with what it is with seriously. It's almost like they're, it's, this is like a desperate um, maneuver to equate this to murder, to be like, you know all that outrage you feel about people dying? Well, this is just as important. And in a lot of ways, it is just as important. However... Mm-hmm. It is not murder. Like, and that's, that's the deceit well, it, that makes it so And there is deceit. So there is deceit yeah. because most of these people would not want to put conser- – and I, I mean, okay, <laughs> there's two different ways this could go. So yeah. you tell me. Yeah. Most of these people I don't think would want to put conservative Christians in jail for yeah. opposing same-sex marriage. And if they do, they're fascist, right? Y- yeah. So you're either a fascist – or you're pretending, which makes you a hypocrite when you say these things aren't that far apart. Because I think most of us would at least want the shooter guy, if he hadn't been killed, to be in jail. Some of us would want him to get the death penalty, but let's put that off the table and just say lifetime in prison, right? 
mm-hmm. this guy should be in prison for the rest of his life. So if this guy should be in prison for the rest of his life and, you know, my great uncle's crime, I'm just making someone up, my great uncle's crime of being really way over the top in his anti-gay rhetoric, like, isn't that much different, then shouldn't my great uncle be in prison for 10 years or like whatever the degree of difference is, shouldn't we be imprisoning people for this kind of speech? And if so, you're a fascist and you don't believe that people have the right to free speech. You really don't. Like you'd rather protect your chosen minorities from harsh speech than to live in a free society. Yeah. Which I can never agree. I think what it is, is as I am willing to call these issues, subtle philosophical, theological, ethical issues that I, and I believe that philosophy and ethics and belief systems have impact on the world. And I'm willing to say that, and I I have said that for, I don't know, like a decade now, but it's like, I I don't need to, to use their own language, sensationalize an ideological battle by comparing it to murder. I mean, it's, it's the reason why the Hitler cliche is a cliche, because you'll be talking about the rights people have to tweet profanities or not, which was a discussion in the early days of Twitter. Mm-hmm. And immediately people are like, oh yeah, in Nazi Germany, blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, okay. Um, but this isn't Nazism. And this is about saying fuck on Twitter. So it's like... And it's also, it's, in our culture, it's about the blurred distinction now that we've made between speech that is an, that is unpleasant or even speech that is cruel... And violence, mm-hmm. actual physical violence. We see it in the yeah. outrage police and the safe spaces and the trigger warnings and all of these kind of um, these kind of leftist um, protecting everybody all the time from speech that's unpleasant. And people are literally now connecting the dots, which is inevitable. When you say that speech is violence, eventually someone will say, hey, speech is the same thing as violence. Like, like, like. This is not just hate speech. This is violence and it should be a crime. Then you start policing speech and policing thought. And we might as well have get those those triplets from the minority report to figure out when someone's going to commit a crime before they do so that we can arrest mm-hmm. them. Yeah. And I love triplets. So yeah. It's like aesthetically it's pleasing. Yeah, it is pleasing. It's yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's all the time we have today to discuss this. I know it's a really heavy topic. It's a topic that a lot of people care about deeply. And I hope that we have not offended too too much, but tried to bring some clarity to some of the philosophical issues existing, underlying. Do you have any parting advice um, for our listeners when it comes to these kinds of conversations? Yeah. Um, don't, don't feel like... It's what we said with the pimping outrage episode. Just because you are not emotionally disturbed on the same level because of a recent mass shooting and another systemic evil um, does not mean you are being disingenuine. It does not mean that you don't know what's going on. It means that they're different issues. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And I would encourage people, like you said, that sometimes a long drawn out approach to reform is the correct response to to social problems, to unethical behavior. And I think that, I don't know, that's what I would say. I would say don't, you don't have to equate speech to murder. 
yeah. to start working on the problem that there's mm-hmm. a bunch of Southern pastors who talk out of their asses about yeah. gay sex, which is a weird thought yeah. to say out loud. Yeah. And for me, the the final thought is, as a as a Christian theologian, as a Christian ethicist, um, I see one of the core problems that I would say all humans tend to have uh, is the desire to be better than, the desire to be self-righteous, the desire to have something that justifies yourself over and against other people. Um, mm-hmm. Religious people do it. Secularists do it. Conservatives do it. Progressives do it. Uh gay people, straight people, black people, white people, every, everybody, you can see the tendencies that we do to try to be better than other people, try to have some kind of thing about us that's inherently better and to tell everybody else why they're so much worse than us. And I would just say, resist that, resist that tendency to think that you're the arbiter of everything good and clean and right. And resist that feeling, that little feeling of satisfaction that you get when you tell people on social media um, just how much like a murderer they are because they disagree with you. So I would say mm-hmm. resist that thing in yourself that wants to make your own righteousness the the focus. Well, that's that's where I would leave it. For um, sure. So we're back. We're going to try to stay back. We're going to try to get you an episode every week like we were doing before our break. And um, hopefully you'll hear from us uh, next week with a brand new topic. Maybe not something so heavy. Maybe we'll talk about something silly. Uh, just to to mix it up. But uh, for now, uh, this has been Ryan. And Nick. And you'll hear from us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.